It's Zagman Luki Team. I'm so popular, and tonight we're joined by an I'm so popular all-star to discuss the 1993 garbage film Private Lessons 2. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be here with one of my good friends. Who are you? Hi, my name is Christian, or some of you might know me from Twitter as LexaPro. Hey babe, what are you doing lately? Oh God, just being fun employed and trying to survive the Libdemic, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, to reflect a little bit on our, on our internet friendship together. It's been over a year now for sure. Definitely. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, we recorded the Beautiful Boy episode, which was um, recorded on the same day that I recorded the Dasha episode, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I recorded that right before I talked to her as kind of a, a way to psych myself up. <laughs> and then uh, the episode turned out wonderful. One of my favorites I've ever done. And um, yeah, we've just been floating through the Twitter sphere as usual. Twink Rev may have died, but we're still here together. So. <laughs> still getting oh. lambasted in spaces together. <laughs> Okay, yeah, for real. And then I forgot, we, we also did that Twink Rev episode. Yeah, yeah. Nine hours of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so despite the fact that we've still never met and our friendship is entirely represented by digits uh, spun out and representing us uh, only as uh, shallow imitations of our real beings, we have uh, continued to be little friends and I'm very, very happy you're here to join me today. I'm happy you're having me back. I'm very excited to talk to you again. Yeah. Um, so today we're kind of discussing camp a little bit and the film Private Lessons 2. And this is, you know what, I am fully okay with narrating the listening experience of my own show because this needs it. Like, yes, <laughs> there absolutely. are so, so many things that this movie does that like touch on a lot of threads um, <laughs> that have been going on <laughs> throughout I'm So Popular's uh, run. But before we get there... We're going to speak a little bit about camp, which is uh, something that eludes everyone and is a a key component to the apocalyptic realm of I'm So Popular. Uh, What do you think camp is, Christian? Oh, camp, you know, it's just that je ne sais quoi. Um, No, I mean, like, I don't know. I think camp to me is when you're doing something that's ridiculous and over the top, um, but there's, like, it should be perceived as, like, bad or cringy or annoying, um, or all of these things, but there's just something about the way that it's executed and, like, the earnestness or sometimes even, like, <laughs> malice that it's performed with that just makes it so, like, heartwarming to witness. Like, that's my mm-hmm. perception of it. It's, like, yeah, it's like watching someone that you love do something really stupid or terrible um, and just being filled with, like, overwhelming joy by it. Absolutely. Um, camp is one of the most important factors of my show, whether people know it or not. And in my eye, it's uh, something critical to the homosexual experience, which is to witness something performed in complete earnesty, um, see it fail in some either spectacularly grandiose <laughs> way or in even the most like minute like like small feature and identifying that kind of failure where there's a breach between the intention and what actually happens is uh one of the most delicious sensations of my entire life 
Oh yeah, no, it's it's like it's like Schadenfreude, but like not in a negative connotation. It's what like is, what did you say? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. That's like where you experience joy from like someone else doing something like shameful, right? Uh huh. Um, but it has sort of like a negative context and is like a bad quality for you to have as a person. But I look at like camp as like almost the ability to experience Schadenfreude in like a way that is like positive both for you and the person that it's like directed at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been thinking a lot about camp in the last few weeks, especially with my uh, Nudushima Senka episode with the logo and with the entire Amy Therese episode in completion as a whole. <laughs> I've, you know, the camp is something that comes up a lot in this uh, Twitter circuit. And I think a lot of it kind of began with the Met Gala when all of America was kind of like confronted with the question of like, what is this? And then nobody knew and nobody answered correctly oh that was yeah that was the best part it's like the the one time because the met gala i think is almost always camp without intending to be right but the one time when the theme actually was like susan sontag's notes on camp no one was able to execute properly Mm -hmm. so good so good yeah and it's kind of spectacular because in the way that, like, people were trying so hard to, like, go after this, like, incorrect notion of camp, they accidentally ended up producing it pretty well. Like, there's that one picture of the woman. I don't know who it is. It's, like, some stupid model, and it's, like, her with a mirror, which is, like, the eyeshadow on, and she's, like, looking camp right in the eye. <laughs> exactly. And then she wears the most boring dress you've yeah, ever yeah. seen. And then, in fact, she is. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in the way that she thinks she is, which makes it all better, but yeah. Yeah. And then there's so many heterosexual people puzzling over what what is camp it's one of my favorite red scare episodes is where they like try to do it with like, the not really boys and i hear this come up on everything it's like people trying to understand like what it is but when you said like it's the genesequa like it truly is yeah, like yeah. you you never know camp unless you're feeling it and only gay people can really feel it correctly i think oh absolutely like i, I don't know it's and, and it's funny because even you know like it, it's become kind of played out i think especially after the Matt gala with like everyone posting anytime like a female pop star does something psychotic and then like tweeting that was camp and like sometimes it is but sometimes it definitely is not right so yeah there's there's certain uh faggots who i think are not not capable of of deciphering the code yeah because i mean the very notion of it has been almost like wrong from its outside like susan sontag should never have been like writing about it honestly yeah definitely definitely not yeah and like it's led to this a kind of academic perception of it and people trying to produce the notion of it in extremely like written out ways but like the only time i'm like ever really like confronted with like true beautiful gleaming camp is like in uh honestly the least academic ways possible without overanalyzing or overthinking about it which is um you know kind of a failure of what we're doing right now and talking about it specifically but (laughs) well no but i mean it's funny right like i I think it's kind of hard yeah i I think it's hard to sort of acad like put the concept the concept into an academic context right i think it's hard to like define certain criteria or explain it but like I, i think it just sort of like the, the campiest thing that I've seen is that video of those two trans girls in the car <gasps> saying, like, 
beautiful, beautiful girls love soup. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous girls love Monster High. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous girls, girls love soup. Soup. <laughs> soup, soup, soup. I don't know what it is about that fucking video, but it has enraptured me. Yes, it's like it's intoxicating. And there's apparently this whole like Nick from Thought Topics just keeps posting more and more TikToks. That's like soup girl TikTok. And it's it's beautiful. There were like these two girls in what looked like a Denny's or some like fast American diner. Um, and one of them's in a fucking <laughs> Evangelion t-shirt. Um, and they're just like chowing down on some chicken noodle soup, just doing a bunch of soup quotes. Okay, here's something that's camp. Trans women. Oh yeah. <laughs> just full stop <laughs> trans women are camp. <laughs> <laughs> This is actually the perfect example of it because it's like, I, I think I identified it pretty well. It's like the the distance between the intention and the impact. The intention and the execution. <laughs> exactly. And that is what makes the best kind of tranties, the most like glistening and fascinating is the camp. Like what becomes uninteresting is like either overly polished or overly dissected and literalized like too much language and linguistic around it and um assertion of micro identities or whatever yeah. or that that's where it loses face but like the true essence of the trans woman is certainly camp i think oh yeah no it's like it, it goes along with like bimbofication yassification like all of these all of these concepts that we see and yeah it's perfectly embodied by by the trans woman like no one does it like the trans girls absolutely like for for real like i i think one of the most important things about camp that is failed to be realized by anyone is that like it's it's rarely an aesthetic quality it's the sensation it produces after like oh, yeah. when when camp has occurred it's not real until like you're feeling it right after yeah no that, that's exactly it, right it has to elicit some kind of like gleeful emotional response in order for it to truly be camp i think that's like maybe that is sort of the criteria this indescribable thing where someone does something that just makes you feel joy not because of any particular intention that they've set out within it but just something about the way they did it just makes you yeah like overwhelmed with with positive feelings yeah, because, like, like what is the, the feeling when I get, when I see camp? It's, like, it's, like, it's really sublimity, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, and... <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Siri, fuck off. <laughs> well, I, she just threw me off everything. Yeah, no. What was I... You were saying Siri, that, like, the up. feeling that you... You're trying to describe the feeling that you get when you, like, witness something mm. camp, and you were saying that it's, like, very, very... It's, like, sublimation, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel it's, like... Camp is fascinating, because it's, like you said earlier, like, it's something is wrong, but you get glee from it. Like, yeah. you You witness a failure of something, and uh, something that makes reality seem more true by demonstrating the gap between like what's real and what's intended and instead of like becoming like scornful or cruel about it um you reach the sensation that's been haunting this show for weeks which is yes wig and twirl (laughs) 
boots, mama, boots. Boots. <laughs> no, for real, like, the boots sensation. Yes. Like, yes. the yes, mama, boots, wig, twirl, and leg. Like, yeah. that is what I feel. Like, I want to, like, spin around with, like, glitter raining on me when I see real camp happening. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I can't get over the video of those two fucking girls. Soup, soup, soup. Yeah. <laughs> we love clam chowder. <laughs> and there's something really special about that video, too, because it's like, it's them in the car. Like, like I, I imagine they're, they're in an Uber. Like there's, and, and, like, that's that's what I'm trying to imagine. There's some helpless, like, immigrant Uber driver just <laughs> witnessing these girls with the flash on talking about soup. <laughs> <laughs> the flat the blinding like whitening flash mm-hmm. their makeup is immaculate and yet you know like, it's like... <laughs> oh god I, people were asking me are like are you gonna talk about the soup 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 thing? <laughs> how can we not yeah. talk about the soup 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 <laughs> i know like honestly like i i think that that video is a perfect encapsulation out of all of it but um why do you think it is that gay people get camp and nobody else does? Like, they get it. Like, why is that? I think it's because, like, as gay people, and I don't know if this comes from, like, a certain level of, like, narcissism or lack of empathy or, like, you know, like, having to develop a stronger sense of self-confidence from, like, whatever trials or tribulations, mm. square, scare quotes around that, um, that you've gone through growing up, like you know what it's like to sort of like maybe do something that is out of your, I mean, like most gay kids were all in like ridiculous high school theater productions, things like that. Right. We know, like we have that quality of being able to do something without necessarily caring if someone thinks that it's like good or bad or weird or whatever. And we've all experienced moments, I think, where we thought we were going to do something that was, like, really cool. Like, we thought we were, like, serving a look or something, right? And you see pictures later, like, years later, and you look at it, and you're just laughing at yourself because of, like, how ridiculous that was. Um, And I I think it sort of comes from the willingness to put yourself in those kind of situations where you could be perceived as ridiculous or these other kind of things that allows you to see it in other people and like laugh at it in a way where it's like a joyful experience and like not making fun of the person that did it Mm. yeah you know we're thinking of it that way i'm thinking about a lot of high school theater productions um (laughs) (laughs) yeah deep listeners of the show will know i was the president of the thespian club and now i am having she's an actress (laughs) yeah yeah i'm having trauma flashbacks to us doing a musical review to like raise funds for our trip to Ashland for the competition. So everyone had to prepare like a little musical theater number and we all had to perform them. 15 people came like, and it was like all like staff from the school. And I fully picked a song from rent. (laughs) I, I picked today for you and then on top of that, I picked High School Musical 3 and I did <laughs> I Want It All, Ryan <laughs> Sharpay, with this fucking like freshman theater bitch who hates my guts now. <laughs> and he went on that stage and yes, wigged and twirled. Yeah, yeah. 
And it might have been, it might have been cringy. It might have been ridiculous. Might have been. Okay, it was. But y'all had a good time, <laughs> right? And I, I think putting yourself like a, a embarrassing personal anecdote from me, right? Is uh, that when I was in high school, I was in marching band. Um, but like after my first year of like marching, playing trombone. I decided that I wanted to be part of the color guard, like the pageantry corps, rifle throwers, and uh, flag twirlers, <laughs> right? So I was the only, the only man in the pageantry corps, and uh, they had to come up with like a costume that was because like the girls were wearing basically like tights and a like a leotard that wouldn't have worked for me, so mm. they had to come up with like a an outfit for me and basically it was like these ridiculous like crushed velvet pants um that fit super tight around like the hips and ass and crotch but then had like these really big flowy legs um and yeah I full-on twirled my flag and tossed my <laughs> rifle in front of the like entire school during the Friday night football games um and the best part was uh because like men have more upper body strength than women, right? Like I was given a lot of rifle tosses that had like a high number of spins in the air, um, like compared to the women. And so I would have like solo roles that I would have to do. Um, and so, yeah, it was my first football game. Me, the only man in this like organization doing super gay flag twirling and rifle throwing. And I have like my big rifle solo where I think it was like a, like it did five turns in the air um, and I dropped the catch. Like, I, I didn't catch the rifle in front of the entire school. Um, I just kept on going. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's coming from, like, being in experiences like that where you can recognize that you are being silly or ridiculous, but you also, like, maybe to avoid having to look back with too much trauma, you want to put a positive spin on it. And, like, we aid other people in doing that by classifying their actions as camp. Oh, that's that's a really sweet reading of it. Um, I think I had a bleaker understanding of it, which is that uh, to be gay is to innately be a, a failure of biology. And, <laughs> like, there is something deeply amusing about the fact that, like, you're a man and, like, your socialization has, like, oopsed you up. And all of a sudden it's like, oops, like, now I'm only attracted to the same gender. Like... I could not defeat, like, my biological impulses, and they misfired in the yeah. wrong direction. Yeah. So, like, um, the entire essence of uh, identifying as a homosexual and then publicly living that, like, the nerve, <laughs> like, this, like, all of that is a, uh, it, it, it lends to an understanding of uh, distance and failure, because once yeah. you kind of uh, realize that, I have chosen to publicly identify as a pervert who <laughs> was mis like somehow like something went wrong and like now you have a backfire to being uh, attracted to the incorrect gender like there's an enormous cosmic joke in that like there's like a a black hole like existentialist humor and the fact that uh the male drive to continue the species like dies in um these, like, little creatures of men that we call gay people. And so then they can kind of recognize that same failure everywhere. Like, they yeah. can see that disaster in the most, like, minute things because it's uh, precisely what animates their whole identity. 
Okay, I like that explanation much more than, than the idea of trying to alleviate like personal embarrassment. I think that's, I think you're more on the right track with that one. No, I okay, think here's, so, but, but it does kind of pose an interesting question from my side, which is that I think like, as you've been saying, sort of like there are, like I guarantee you Pete and Chast and Buttigieg like have no ability to recognize and understand camp. Like, do you think, cause I think with sort of modern gay rights movements in terms of like allowing gay marriage and you can like have the white picket fence and you can adopt a baby or like, you know, do something horrible and like have a surrogate or whatever, right? Like we're sort of trying to find ways for gay men to escape the fact that they're an embarrassment to evolution. Um, mm. And I'm wondering if maybe like gays that are trying to reconcile the sort of biological urge to to procreate and reproduce and all of this stuff and live like a more heterosexual lifestyle somehow in that process lose the ability to like understand and appreciate camp well absolutely because um the further you go down the correct path which is to embrace the abjection and perversion every gay man should be 100% rushing towards the void, in my opinion. Like, you've been blessed with a gift um, to defeat nature and embrace 100% pure Rocky Horror pleasure. Like, you have that option in front of you. So to run towards that is by far the best option. But if you don't, that means you have to set up a deeper fallacy for yourself and you have to create a larger and more intricate diorama of streetcar named desire like lampshades on top of the light bulb to deceive yourself from the truth so i I honestly believe that both pete and chastin whatever the hell his name is (laughs) yeah i both i believe that both of them do have the capacity to understand but they have they've put themselves behind so many of those lampshades that they'll never see the pure light of the light bulb and um it's funny because I actually read Chastin Buttigieg's memoir. Ooh. <laughs> I read it because I was supposed to do an episode of the show with someone about him. Yeah. And we read his book, but he never finished it and we never did the episode. And he has, uh, excuse me, he has a chapter title that's called Notes on Camp, Not the Sontag Essay. Or the, it's like something <laughs> like that. And he does a... Uh, 40 page chapter about how every summer him and his like Republican family would like go camping in the woods and like how it was like his most like cherished memory was like fishing in the lake or whatever. (laughs) And it was so funny to me because he had fully swerved away from understanding camp into just becoming a living, big hipped embodiment of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> big yeah. wide birthing hipped embodiment yeah no and it's funny in his in his attempt to escape from it he like and that's the thing because you never can right you can never you can never escape the campness of being a faggot right and this is even true of like the closeted republican like government officials like i don't i'm not gonna like embarrass myself by misremembering the guy's name or his position but like there was that one republican who like got arrested because he was like trying to solicit uh, giving understall blowjobs in like an airport bathroom and then like like, immediately my reaction to that was like 
work like clean yeah, exactly. like twirl because it's camp you can't you, you can try as hard as you can to escape the void to escape the perverse act like the perverse aspects of being a homosexual but i think eventually like it does it does catch up to you um mm-hmm. white picket fence or not right so yeah the, the the camp lives in there and anytime you try to get away from it like everyone else just looks at it and thinks that was camp Exactly, because the further you try to run away from it, the further you become the subject of camp. You just have to embrace your role as an embarrassment to biology and society in general. Private Lessons 2 is from 1993 and directed by Kimeta Akiyoshi, although if you're watching any available version of it, it'll be under some random American name. It stars the one of the, the glimmering icons of Japanese idol group SMAP, previously discussed on my episode Revelation of the Idols with River Page. Um, it stars Inigaki Goro as... Uh, Ken, a young 18-year-old international high school student who is taken away by a summer of love with a French teacher played by a a nothing Swedish-American actress named Joanna Pacula. She's Polish, Um, actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and did you know that Koji is actually played by another SMAP guy? That's right, by uh, Nakai Masahiro, who is yeah. uh, one of the... the le- Look at you doing your research. Yeah, he's like the big <laughs> leader of the group. Yeah. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Um, there are a lot of reasons. This has a lot of confluence with I'm So Popular themes as of late, which, first, this is an obscure piece of Japanese media that has uh, sparked extreme emotion in me for a seemingly inexplicable reason. Next, it features... Literally nothing but failures of Japanese artists trying to recreate American sensibilities, accents, and culture. Um, three, the men are beautiful. Like yeah, The men are so hot. <laughs> yeah, the men are so hot. And all of it coalesces into the perfection of uh, camp emotionality. And my mission on this show has always been to explore the apocalypse through art that can sometimes not so often be seen that way so here we are with a um incredible piece of work that is almost impossible to find um if you want to watch this movie you can join my discord and i have links for everything we watched there so um i'm so popular discord there'll be a link in the description (laughs) (laughs) but yeah christian i sent this movie to you i sent a youtube link to you like uh 10 o'clock Japanese standard time last <laughs> night. What did you think of Private Lessons 2? Oh my, like, I, I think just in terms of the 
like overall description like it's it's one of the most like beautifully failed pastiches of like an american 80s movie and american culture that i have ever seen like they they try to hit so many elements of american cinema throughout the decades like including all of this like really ridiculous sort of physical comedy um and just like the general kind of american sex comedy genre right but it just like <laughs> it just <laughs> fails in a way that's so delightful and cute to watch i i just I, i'm completely obsessed with it like I, I would love to know whoever did the script um because there's like this one line where she's in the bathtub with Ken, right? And he's like, why are you using my father's bathroom? And she's like, I don't think he'll mind if I'm using his plumbing. I'm like, did, did they not have a native speaker proof this? Certainly not. What's really special about this movie is that there is a very specific reason for it to exist, which is that SMAP, um, it was one of the the top idol groups. Um, anyone who's listened to that episode I did will recognize the name Johnny's that produces all of these boy groups. And this was basically a star vehicle for Inagaki Goro to kind of make his foray into acting and impress the sexuality that he holds over the country into a cinematic fashion. And they basically acquired the rights to an American 80s film called Private Lessons. And instead of just calling this, like, a remake, or they call it Private Lessons 2, <laughs> for, for some inexplicable reason. And I have looked into this, because at first I was like, there is no way that only a dubbed movie of this exists. Because this is a Japanese movie with English voices put over everything. Yes, yes. Japanese characters will be talking to each other, and it's always in English. And I believe that there are versions of this movie where when they are speaking in Japanese, if they actually do so. However, there are so many scenes that are between a Japanese character and a foreigner, and those are all in the dub. So this movie has never been released in America. You can only find it on VHS and on YouTube, basically. All manner of, of its existence has been virtually scrubbed away from the world. And yet... There is this YouTube video in which you can access the entire plumbing, as it were, <laughs> of human emotion. Yeah, no, and like it, it's so funny because I was looking up sort of the the back because like it was weird, right? I was trying to figure out exactly what the situation was with the dubbing. I'm like, okay, are they only dubbing the scenes where they're talking between Japanese people? Or like what was the situation where they're speaking English between each other, right? Because that one actress that plays the French tutor, um, she was born in like 1956, I believe, in Poland and didn't immigrate to the States until like the 80s, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, this woman does not speak Japanese. <laughs> like, what, no. what was the situation here in terms of the, like, there's got to be so much deep lore about the production that I have to sink into later, but just the overall like mismatch in terms of language of the dubbing and just in general, the dynamic of the casting is, is so fascinating to watch. Um, yeah, no, I, I really like, I can't, I, I don't know what to make of the overall just audio like uh, dialogue experience of this movie. No, I know. Um, 
the reason I don't even remember exactly how I came across this. I think it was when I was like really like into Johnny's idols and stuff and was like uh, trying to dig up everything. And they're like, oh, there's this terrible SMAP movie that they did. And I've seen a few other like Johnny's idols movies and most of them are obviously in Japanese, but something really like fascinated me that it's like basically a softcore porno. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's so porny. It's so porny. Yeah, I know. It's it's so porny. It has like this like glistening 18 year old idol who was 19 when they filmed this. And not only does it have this, it's all in the impression of American cinema. And so there's like so many like gaps between the intended product and like what happens and so much ambition in this like tiny little film that it is just sparkling with disaster throughout. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting, right? Because fundamentally, if you look at sort of what if you look at the progression of the plot, right, it's supposed to be this like Bildungsroman, like coming of age type story of this like insecure Japanese boy who has a sexual experience with an older woman and this like turns him into like a Casanova, right? Um, oh, spraying on the perfume, that's a good idea. Make sure you get that for the, for the <laughs> ASMR. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like it, it's just crazy because throughout the entire film, right? He's just very like, like there's that whole scene where he's saying like, you don't want to marry me type thing, right? Of this woman that he's known for like a month tops, um, which is like very innocent and cute and stuff, right? But then at the end, and, like she leaves. And then at the end, he uh, goes back to school to talk to the teacher that like basically set him on the path of having a French tutor. And all of a sudden he has this like very, very overt sort of masculine sexual energy Mm -hmm. um, that comes out of nowhere, right? Throughout the entire film, we see no progression of him, like, getting more into this. Like, by all accounts, still, like, a very innocent and, like, traditional boy. <laughs> and then the final scene is him essentially asking his French teacher out on a date with, like, a completely different style and look and acting, like, super cool. Um, and there's just no development of that in the plot whatsoever. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> no, there's no development of anything here um the the general plot of the movie is that it follows a uh, young ken whose mother is dead um <laughs> and so he's lost his spark and i think his french his french teacher like the very like first scene of the movie or whatever is just like i miss that smile on you or whatever and so she like there are so many like failures of plot here because she's the one who encourages him to get a French teacher. But there's also a subplot about how the chauffeur is doing this as like a money laundering scheme. Yeah, and a way to like try to scam his father, who apparently is very rich and he wants to get the inheritance. And in order to do that, he needs to trick him into thinking he's successful. Right. Um, so it's like th the the general plot is that here's a sweet eighteen year old <laughs> Ken on his like little journey with this French teacher who's been set up with him. Um, they speak French together for two sentences in the whole movie, and the rest is just them in English having the most painful, uncomfortable sexual interaction ever put to cinema. Yeah, no, it's 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 really. It's just so brilliantly failed. Um, yeah, no, like, I'm trying to think of the exact scene that I'm refer. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, oh, God, what is it? Yeah, they, like, they, they, they don't develop any of it, right? Which in that, in that sense, it is basically like, a, it's, it's like a Pornhub movie, 
It literally is like a men.com Pornhub movie in that there is like no development of the plot whatsoever. Nothing fits. And then the next thing you know, like she's inviting him into uh, her room to get naked or to watch her get naked, right? And then he gets like too horny and leaves or whatever, gets him into the bathtub, all of this different, like all of these just crazy scenes that have no setup whatsoever um, and end up with him like having some increase in, in sexual experience with her. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, so I definitely want to talk about that that first scene where she starts to, like, seduce him or whatever. Uh, because they have no chemistry at all because of the language barrier between them. It's basically like um a, a Jalo movie in that way where there's, like, people speaking different languages to each other and then just overdubbed after. So immediately we have two people who aren't even speaking the same language with each other, like, awkwardly disconnecting. And then through that, like, disastrous layer, we get to see her, like start to hit on him and it's this extremely slow scene where she is there's a lot of like leg fetish in this movie it's like a lot of stockings the stockings are so Mm -hmm. good yeah she's like putting her thigh up on the screen like slowly removing her like panties or whatever and it keeps like cutting back and like the the best part of this movie is the overdubbed voice makes like the like little smallest noises going like "Mm." Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, it's it's. So, have you ever seen like a dubbed porn film on Pornhub? I don't think so. Oh my! So this is like quite common. I think if you're browsing Pornhub in an international setting, so like sometimes there'll be porn videos and they like dub in more sounds to make it sound. So it's like people moaning or whatever in the background to make it sound more erotic. Or if they're like trying to adapt it for a foreign audience, um, uh-huh. they will literally dub over the audio like into like German or Japanese or whatever, right? Um, and yeah, like that, that, that's very much what this feels like, which obviously this this predated, I think, sort of this porn phenomenon, but it's just so funny how that is like a phenomenon that still occurs today. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's interesting because obviously it's a tremendous failure and it's like not like an erotic scene at all. Like no. there, there's there, there's nothing truly sexy about it. And yet it like does kind of get to the core bec- because of the camp of it all, right? Like it, it actually like does end up like representing human sexuality in a way that is almost like more accurate and piercing than it if it had been successful and being erotic. No, I mean, it's, it's so, um, it's so honest in the way that it portrays human sexuality, right? Like how many sort of like, um, situations have we been into where we like go to someone's house for a grinder hookup and there's no chemistry whatsoever. And it's just sort of this (laughs) awkward rubbing of bodies together until you can like have it go on long enough that you can say it's time to leave. Right. Um, and that's like the majority of, of their interactions, but also you have this like completely baseless emotional attachment that starts uh, developing between the two of them, right? Because she's originally brought in by the driver as part of this scam, right? So he's like, yeah, you get like, I don't know, 1 million yen or whatever, and you need to tutor him, but also like hook up with him. Um, and she eventually grows like more, he like won't do it because he's too innocent for the longest time. And she gets more and more attached. And then when it's finally time, she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but yeah, there's like, there's no real reason for him to fall in love with her, but he does. Um, I think that's actually a very honest depiction of like an 18 year old, right? Like you just sort of form these attachments to people for no reason. Right. 
No, totally. I mean, like, the the sort of, like, coming-of-age stuff in this movie is, like, actually, like, more accurate, especially with, like, how awkward everything feels. Um, and the way that the performances, like, the little performances from these actors and actresses, like, keeps, like, showing up over and over again, like, I feel like that's really where it gets, like, piercingly real and, like, kind of, like, this, like, seething, like, very, not sexually hot, but, like, like, feverish kind of reality is because I can't, like, count how many times, like, I've, like, been in a sexual encounter and all of a sudden I'm, like, removed by the fact that I'm aware that I'm performing (laughs) and acting. Yeah. And so when you see, like, people, like, having, like, unglamorous, like, failed interactions of eroticism, like, that scene when she's fucking rolling down those, (laughs) like, stockings or whatever, it's, like... It becomes uncomfortable and shocking and twirl because <laughs> it's the fucking performance that everyone has done and like been objected to and frightened of before. Uh, yeah, and like, and in a certain sense, you can find comfort in knowing, like, it, yeah, that's like maybe that's another element of camp, right? Is that you can find comfort and seeing someone experience the same level of like failure or awkwardness or whatever that you at one point have have experienced in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's very much present in this film from like all of the different interactions. Yeah, for sure. Um, and their interactions, like you said, just have no chemistry whatsoever. And the most wonderful moment of this is when they're in the back of the chauffeur who's like doing the money laundering and like they're they finally have like their first kiss or whatever yeah. oh my god <laughs> yeah it's like the the least sexy scene right but it's it's supposed to, I, i'm guessing like this american trope of like you know the guy in the back seat of the limo and like oh they're gonna like get it on or whatever and like literally it's just like the most like dispassionate awkward looking kiss that you've ever seen no yeah and what's super special about all of this too is that the you know on ken's voice on this smap actor inagaki goro they on every other actor they give them like american pronunciation but yes! on him alone they give him a really heavy japanese accent yes no, and it's, it's so funny because he's talking to, to to Koji, right? Like his friend from school. And he, like, I don't know if they used a different voice actor for like different parts, but like at one time in the YouTube version, like he literally has an Irish accent. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, and my favorite is like the, the Japanese schoolgirl that's like their classmate or whatever. When she like, it just, the camera just cuts to her and she's like, what does she have that I don't? Like meaning the French teacher. And I'm like, why is this bitch even here? Oh yeah. The non sequiturs in this movie also give it a really like uncanny, like Twin Peaks of Return, like Inland Empire, like sheen of ultra reality, like between like the sexy, uh, the sexy schoolgirl on the, on the beach chair. The thing that shocks me the most every time I watch this is the gardener for one scene of this movie. (laughs) Oh, and like, and, and it was just so funny because like you could tell they thought they were going to do this like brilliant moment. Of physical comedy, right? Because the the driver's like, "Be careful! I just washed the car, right?" And the gardener's like, "Yeah, yeah, I know." And then he like slips and falls and dumps the dirt all over the hood of the freshly washed car. And it's like, and it's not funny. It's, no. like, it's like not. It's like not a joke. It's like, 
it just doesn't make any sense. So you're watching this like two minute joke setup, and it completely makes no sense, sense. Yeah. And it leaves no impression. So you're like staring at this screen with like this blank look in your eye, just like contemplating what any of this means. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> like they, they, uh, when the dad's leaving on the business trip, which kind of allows this entire like, uh, sexual adventure between the French teacher and, and Ken to, to play out. Right. It's like before he goes to the airport, he like takes Ken with him, like in the car going to the airport to like stop at the cemetery and like visit his mom's grave. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? And then he's like, oh, can I actually stay here? And this dad's like, yeah, you're the driver will pick you up after I like after he drops me off at the airport. I'm like, what is this? Like, what what is happening here? <laughs> No, it's so incredible because this is like a big trope of Japanese media is like the the dead mother, which, you know, inspires a um, more intense emotional reaction with the typically distant father. Right. Yeah, like yeah. This is um, this is a big theme of Neon Genesis Evangelion yeah. in which this exact scene happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like but because it's like in this melt of failure, when you're like asked to like deal with this like young boys like grief for his mother it it I, I don't know how it makes me feel it, i i'm just like looking at the screen trying to process it and it makes you like read into the movie and try to like process and realize grief more seriously because yeah. it's so absent in the film no and, and like it kind of like it, it's it's funny right like again getting back to sort of the connection to to porn it's like it's like that thing where the delivery guy shows up, right? Or like you're getting evicted from your house and the person that's coming to to throw you out shows up and you're like, I don't have any money. Can I pay in like a different way, right? And in that sense, it's like this idea of everyone in his life trying to get him to launder his, get like not guilt, but launder his grief about his mother through like having a sexual experience with an older woman. It makes no sense, but I think that's very real like the way humans process grief like there is like no sort of formula for it and yeah I mean the idea of sort of like using grief to try to access like uh sexual advances or solicit sexual advances and things like that I think also happens in real life which makes it even the more terrifying right mm -hmm. like people yeah. feeling the need to be there for you because someone in your uh, someone close to you died or whatever, right? And then that turning into a to a sexual encounter. Not to reference my breakup again, but like <laughs> I hate talking about it with people yeah. because people keep like producing responses, and it's like they go through like these like motions of like the are you okay like, and it's all these like identifiable patterns that make me feel less human than like before I had even brought it up. And yeah. what's incredible about private lessons too. <laughs> is that because the movie is such a disaster like it reveals like the truth of like these like painful interactions about you know God, like figuring out your trauma and your grief and it's like when the french teacher is like she like picks up a picture of the dead mom and she's like oh is this your mom and he's like yeah it is and she's like oh she's so pretty and then he just goes she's dead yeah it's, it's very Taylor. Accent. It's very sorry. Taylor can't come to the phone right now. She's, She's dead. dead. <laughs> and like, like stark realism, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's just the the absurdity and the insanity of it. Like, 
it just it makes it somehow both not relatable at all because it's not the way like media that tries to address these film like these these themes um ever is done but it's much more realistic in the sense that when you're going through these things yourself right like the responses are completely absurd and nonsensical and alienating and abject um and I think that's that's very much what's what's going on here I mean like to, to kind of shift the lens from looking at Ken's trying to deal with the loss of his mother if we look at if we look at the French teacher right she has her own sort of dilemma that she's going through which is I forget exactly what the reason is that she needs the money, right? Doesn't matter. You didn't forget it. It's like not there. It's yeah. like my friend needs help, and like she yeah. like works like at a. They meet up at a bar, and there's no reason for any of it at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. And so, um, but it's funny, right? Because I mean, also like if you're in a situation where you're tight on cash and you like need to do like weird things to try to get you out of it, right? That's also I think sometimes results in like very absurd actions that is also relatable. Like, you know, your credit card bill is overdue. So you start trying to sell feet pics online, right? Like this is very much <laughs> like that type of action. You know what I mean? And like people actually do these things. Like, and it's one of those things where it's so crazy, you can't make it up. But the fact that this is made up gives it that sort of camp feeling to it. Mm-hmm. No, totally. I, um... I like the overall, like, texture of this movie as well. Because it has, like, all of, like, these, um, like, idol ballads that were, like, songs, like, either, like, produced, like, around SMAP or, like, stuff they were promoting at the time. And because there's the only quality that exists of this is, like, a VHS rip, it has, um, this kind of, like, beautiful and, like, sad, smoky, like, 90s look. And at the very end of the movie when the French teacher is deciding to leave, like, Ken or whatever, and they're, like... Did they go to the graveyard there? I forgot. I think so. Cause they, they go somewhere right in the car and I wasn't sure if it, I thought it was the graveyard because it looked like it, but it, yeah, it's kind of hard to place everything for me in this movie because it was so, so insane. Um, but yeah, I also noticed that because the VHS rip, right? There are moments where you see like issues with the film or whatever that also kind of lended a very like distanced. It's, it almost feels like you're watching someone's like fucked up home video. Yeah, no, for real. And especially because, like, a lot of, like, the sets and stuff, like, aren't glamorous at all. Or, like, they're, like, they're just, like, a little off. Like, the house, like, feels really angular and small. And when she's, like, deciding to leave him, it's, like, supposed to be this, like, big, glamorous, like, overlook of Tokyo. But it's so fucking smoggy. You can't see anything. (laughs) Yeah. No, I like the... It's funny because, like, there's there's the use of, like, certain, like, idol-based music, right? But there's also the use of these just, like, completely ham-fisted, like, American 80s songs. Mm-hmm. Like, when whenever he has an issue with her, they always start playing, like, that Love Hurts song or whatever. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> you can't be doing this right now. I, it's just like... Every single, like, misfire here just makes it more piercingly real. Like, this movie, like, is stabbing me through the the stomach. Yeah, no. Whenever, like, the uncanny, like, wrongness of this is happening, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is actually real. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, it just, I don't know. And, like, it's funny because I also, it's somehow relatable because, like, you'll be going through an emotional time in your life, right? And I always find myself listening to, like, the most inappropriate song for what I'm feeling, like, 
on repeat for like weeks and weeks and weeks or whatever, right? And like that, the soundtrack, I think also kind of touches, touches on that. There's just, yeah, I, I would, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have been in that writer's room. Like how fantastic. I just can't imagine either. And the, the thing is, is that no one fucking cares yeah. at all. Like yeah. this movie was like made to sell to horny fans of SMAP and like go through like the, the ritualist, like subfusion of the female desire into like pretty boy safe idols, which is like why so much of his depiction here is like, as like a, a safe, like unconcerned boy. Like nobody cared about this movie at all. Like yeah. the reason it exists was to appease like a very small, like sexual demographic yeah. and to promote these idols. But that lack of concern, like the lack of artistry, it all leads to this <laughs> horrific hovering truth. Yeah, no, exactly. It, it ends up, because it's so dishonest, it ends up being extremely honest, um, which is, which is fabulous. Like, it's, it's made to, soup, a, like... Soup, 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 Yes! Oh my god, the fucking... When she's, like, when they have their fight or whatever, right, after the whole him, like, screaming at her that she doesn't want to marry him, and then he apologizes the next day, and she's like, I made soup, like, just for you or whatever. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous girls love soup. Soup. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls love soup. <laughs> and speaking of gorgeous, okay, one thing that makes this movie special is that he is gorgeous. Like, Inagaki Goro looks so, so good. The beautiful boy. Literally. I don't know what makes him so easy to look at in this movie, but he... I. I it casts a spell on me. Well, just like, it, it's just crazy too, because you have that, like the opening credits, right? Where he's like performing on stage and everyone's like holding up the lighters in the crowd. And then it's like him and the woman, like having sex in the shower or whatever. And it's just so like hot and sexy in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it's like him as like a, a, a teenage boy or whatever. And like, yeah, very much this Pollyan idea of the beautiful boy, this sort of like young, stuck in between being a kid and being an adult and like a, a young Adonis, right? It, yeah, no, it's it's funny. Who is completely unaware of his own beauty because he's so unconcerned and has the forever no. gaze cast in the opposite direction. Yeah. And another thing that, you know, I think wouldn't have worked if like this movie had been produced under like the same conditions in America where they had been trying to promote, like, I don't know, like some like InSync member or like whatever. I don't, I don't know what like the time frame matching here is, but like if they had been doing that, I don't think they would have been able to sexualize the male figure in the same way that makes this like so appealing to me um, because they are really catering to like these like women who are looking for like the cute kind of idol image. So all of like the sexualization of the woman in this movie is totally bland and lifeless. But when it comes to the sexualization of him, it's very like passive and like subterfuge esque. Like it, it creeps up under you. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's funny. I was going to say like, it's quite, (laughs) it's quite interesting from a gender perspective, right? Because you have an inversion of the masculine and the feminine, which also kind of helps to build this, this beautiful boy archetype um, in Ken's character, right? Because she's the one that's making all the advances. She's the one that's trying to get him to take his clothes off. Like all, she's the one that's doing the naked man, so to speak, right? Where you just pop in and take your clothes off. Um, 
And he's like the shy, young little girl archetype where he's like, oh, I, I'd like to keep it on, please, in terms of his underwear <laughs> when he gets into the gets into the tub. I'm like, I'll take it, I'll take them off, but only if you turn off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And yeah, that that scene too, I'm all of it with like him being like a this like uncertain like boy or whatever. This is answering a lot of questions that was brought up in the Patreon exclusive pre-show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because it's like when you do see somebody make that step from like the the little like coquettish like wayfish like boyishness, and then when they finally like do start like moving in the outward sexual direction. Like when you see that, you know, Kantian transformation where it's like one and the same, like that makes it all the more stimulating and powerful. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, Am I yeah. making any sense? No, you're totally making sense. And it's funny because for me, right. in the closing scene where he finally realizes his beauty and power and all of this or whatever, and like ask the French teacher out, he like the the spell ends for me there. I agree. You know what I mean? Like whatever sort of charisma that he had by not because again, like their intention and execution, like sort of align or misalign in a way where it's like no longer camp. I mean, yes, the entire scene is extremely camp because he's asking his French teacher <laughs> out on a date, but like him, like the 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 portrayal of him kind of kind of loses its magic. I think in that moment. Yeah. I- the the final note of this movie is kind of horrific, I think. Yeah. And right until it does the freeze frame on him sticking his arms up and making that dumb grin or whatever, like, right up until that, like, final glistening moment, there's, like, all of this successful camp of it where it's, like, him in what would... That uh, fucking wretched accent where he's like, "Oh, my chauffeur will pick you up at seven thirty yeah, 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 and it's still working there. But like the second the camera stops, mm-hmm. something happens. Why yeah. is this? I don't, I don't know. And like maybe there's something here with the fact that this film like is being catered to women, <laughs> and. It's so funny because it like, I feel like it almost is trying to provide an explanation for like male psychology, right? So like he goes mm-hmm. from being this sweet, innocent little boy to being like a horny little man, right? And like mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's trying to explain explain male sexuality or like male male psychology to women in a way that's more accessible. Maybe that's why it fails. I don't know. That's a that's a good reading of it. Um, because the movie also does like make me feel like kind of empty and terrified at the end and I've never really been able to like put my like finger on why it is, but it's like kind of all of this artifice, like climaxing in like what is supposed to be like uh, the true realization of masculinity here. But it feels to me that it's only going to lead to something worse, like in the imagined future. Of well, that, that's, that's, that's the logical conclusion. Right. And if you look at this, like, and you extend it as like trying to say something about society at large, which I don't think it is, but I think because of the fact that it's not, we can make these kind of analyses on it. Um, I feel like <laughs> the takeaway message is uh, you have a, a, a man that is fundamentally sweet and innocent and like wanting the things that women would want as 
like a young adolescent to like early adult. And then he has like a sexual experience that fundamentally changes him and who he is and his desires, right? Um, yeah, there's like, there's almost like a, a, a hint of like evil in him, I feel like in that final scene. Because if you look at the expression of like the teacher, like it could again, just be the fact that there's this huge language barrier causing it not to land, right? But she <laughs> looks very like, she looks like, both shocked and concerned, but also intrigued at the same time. And it's hard to figure <laughs> out if that was intentional or if that's just because the movie is such shit in terms of the dialogue. Well, nothing is intentional here at all. Like, um, and that is what makes it like, you know, exciting to analyze and to talk about because it's like when you can see the mechanisms behind an artist like working in too much detail it shatters the illusion. But when you see those same mechanisms desperately churning and then failing in such radical degree, then you get art in a more exciting way. Like you get it in a way that feels like fresher and more starkly human than when you see like a self-serious, like, uh, uh, you know, Ari Aster is really the ghost of this fucking show. Because it's mm-hmm. like, I love Midsummer, and I think it's one of the best movies that's come out in years. But I think that Hereditary is, like, self-serious, like, fail garbage. Yeah, yeah. And you can see the mechanisms of that movie, like, working in way too clear detail. You can see every punch it's trying to pull on you. Yeah. Um. But, it, I mean, it's successful. It, it is, like, a little bit, like, frightening and unnerving. But you can see the mechanisms working here, too. But then you watch them fail and then they become more real. Yeah, I I actually really (laughs) like the Midsommar comparison. And like, again, because I enjoyed it so much um, and I watched it with my my boyfriend recently and he really, like, he did not like it like hardly at all, right? Um, And it was funny because he was trying to get me to explain like what I found interesting or what I liked about it. And like his critiques of it were basically that like it wasn't, he didn't feel like it was serious enough. It didn't really explore the themes that it was trying to get to in a way that felt like honest enough or like uh, that there wasn't a strong enough like plot sort of driving the movie, right? And it's funny because I all of the reasons why I enjoyed it are like all of the reasons why he hated it, right? Because of the mm-hmm. fact that it doesn't take itself so seriously. Like there's so much that's sort of allowed to come through and allowed to happen. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a very, very interesting thing because I think in this movie, like you would have to start, you, you basically have to take the same view. You have to take the view, like this is complete and utter, I mean, this is a much more extreme version of it, right? But, you know, in, in Private Lessons too, you know, it's just, com- it's complete and utter nonsense. And in that you mm-hmm. can find so much joy and excitement and meaning. No, totally. And it's like, the last shots of Midsummer and Private Lessons 2 are the same. Yes, but it's funny because in, in, in Midsummer, right? Like, and, and that was the, the culmination of the entire plot is right there, right? Like she's been completely like downtrodden, abject, like powerless throughout the entire film, right? And then she's like, kill my boyfriend. And she has this huge outlet of emotion much like, you know, Ken's character being sad about the loss of not only his mother, but also the French teacher, right? And then you have this moment where in the final scene, right, she stops crying or she's like still crying, but she's smiling and you can like see this joy and elation and like sense of belonging that she's been looking for the entire time, which gives her character the resolve that it needs, right? And like in his sense, it's, you know, finding his his sexual charisma or or whatever, right? In that same 
same type of shot. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they both leave like the same sickening impression after because, yeah, because when I, when I, because when I first watched Midsummer, like the, the second that you watch it happen in the theater, like at least I did, I felt like catharsis. I was like overjoyed and I was like, so, and then like two hours later and I was like, Oh my God gross like no because because you realize the implication of this right like Mm -hmm. you realize good for her because she needed to have like you know that that change but the direction i mean it's like finding religion right it's like joining a cult basically it's like it gives you the sense of personal resolve that you need but at what cost and what does that mean for your future right and i think that's sort of implication of like a very dark or fucked up future maybe is heavily implied in like both of these films because the characters sort of got what they needed, so to speak, just in the wrong way. And my ultimate thesis about why this is, is because I think that seeing this pristine, beautiful, masculine, you know, anti-masculine figure in many ways, but seeing a beautiful boy, as it were, a truly beautiful Pollyan boy, seeing him untainted, by female sexuality and troubled by it and in conflict with it. Yeah. It's um it's very satisfying for yeah. me. Yeah. Because that that is the idealized pristine image is a perfect man untainted by the swampy trappings of femininity and like preserved in absolute like gorgeous perfection but the end of the movie shows him submitting to the cult of the woman no like that's what what i was gonna say to any women who are listening like if you want to know why men are so bad it's because you make them this way (laughs) you spoiled their beauty and it's not fair for any of us (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly and we can actually appreciate it (laughs) the big plot twist out of all of this that I have been waiting to reveal, and I hope you didn't already re- uh, find this out on your own already, is that Inagaki Goro, the actor who plays Ken, is basically a faggot. Wait, 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 okay, okay. He's not the same... No, he's not the same guy that was in that video clip that you were sharing on Twitter, right? No, 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 Okay, no. okay, good. <laughs> he's not the Nurenurishimasen guy, yeah, but yeah. it came out recently that he lives his life um and every week for three days a married man with children uh comes and stays with him for three days out of the week (laughs) wait wait (laughs) oh that's so fucking perfect i know because oh you've been sitting on a secret girl (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it just makes the whole awkwardness of the dialogue, all of this stuff, like, makes so so much more sense, right? Yeah, because, I mean, I, I don't really know if he's, you know, gay in the way that we are, you know, no. but I think he's homosexual in the lifestyle way, and he has found a life partner who, um, despite being trade for all intents and purposes and, you know, married with children, they, they share love together and um i mean what's gayer than like wanting to live with a man three days a week yeah sexlessly maybe but in any case i just i found that out after i had first seen this movie as i'm also inflicting upon you and it 
made me go back to this movie on my second viewing and the whole time I was just thinking about what the future had in store for this beautiful boy and (laughs) the end that end freeze frame might suggest that something bleak will happen to him but he finds love he escapes the idol cult he (laughs) runs away from women and he lives unmarried three days out of the week with With a man (laughs) A man 16 years older than him. Oh, that makes it even better. <laughs> it makes it even better. Holy shit. It's perfect. Yeah. This movie is perfect. <laughs> oh, gorgeous, gorgeous girls love living with 16-year-old men, men who are 16-year-old. <laughs> oh, oh my god, gorgeous, gorgeous idols. You love to see it. Gorgeous idols. <laughs>